This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. This is the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony. This is Michael Ware, Justin Gibney. How are you this week? I'm doing well, Brother Ware, man. I uh, had a really good uh, MLK uh, holiday. Uh, got up with some folks in Atlanta. It was pretty cold, man. It's cold in Atlanta right now for for whatever reason. Uh, but we went out and, and marched, man, for a, a really good cause. There's an organization that I, I created called City Roots, uh, City Roots ATL. And we're kind of addressing some of the issues dealing with uh, affordable housing or a lack of affordable housing, the, the, the affordable housing or low income housing crisis in Atlanta and a lot of big cities. Uh, and so we want to make sure that Atlanta is a place where uh, people who are on lower income can live and doesn't kind of end up where you see cities like Seattle and San Francisco, where in order for poor people to live in the city, that it's almost it's almost only homeless people that are poor in the city. So we want to make sure we prevent that in the city of Atlanta. Yeah, that's incredible. I saw the the, the photos and it was it was cool to see see uh, so many folks out for that and appreciate the work you're you're doing there. You know, another historic week in our politics with impeachment uh, starting and in, in the the, uh, the process in the Senate, and we're going to get to that uh, in this episode. But there were a few other topics we wanted to to touch on first, and the the, the first is this interesting uh, kind of back and forth, and quite an interesting controversy to just happened a couple of weeks out from voting in Iowa. And that is uh, that uh, former Secretary Hillary Clinton uh, spoke out related to, so uh, Hulu has a documentary on Hillary Clinton's life and uh, Clinton's been doing some press around that. Uh, in uh, one of those press hits uh, in an interview with the Hollywood Reporter, they asked her about her views on Bernie Sanders and basically asked if if there had been any any changes to his uh, to her views on him and she basically said no and said quote he was in Congress for years he had one senator support him nobody likes him nobody wants to work with him he got nothing done he was a career politician it's all just baloney and I feel so bad that people got sucked into it uh, by the end of the day uh so this you know this broke within about 24 hours or really even less uh hillary clinton was tweeting uh that basically that she uh you know kind of reiterated that she would support whoever the democratic nominee is bernie sanders had responded that he was focused on impeachment and uh, I, I think uh, the, the the Democratic Party, at least, is going to try and move uh, move on. 
because they view this uh, this internal fight as not helpful. Uh, but gosh, Secretary Clinton had to know what she was uh, what, what what she was what she the kind of bomb she was throwing uh, the the grenade she was throwing in the middle of the primary uh, uh, by you know having those comments on the record to the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Justin, what what were your uh, what 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 did you think of this? Uh, where do you think uh, where do you think this is coming from? Who it might be coming from a couple places. I mean, it may in part be strategic because I'm sure she's not a Bernie fan, just based on the politics of it all. But I think, unfortunately, I think it's coming from a a, a not so um, happy place, uh, kind of internally on her end as well. You know, you can't we can't really divorce this from the accusations that Elizabeth Warren made a few weeks back or a week or so back uh, about Sanders being a misogynist and all that. I think it plays into that conversation as far as Bernie being baloney. Like I'm, I'm sad that people bought into it. You know, I'm not a Bernie supporter. I've said that many times, uh, but I've always thought that he had integrity. Uh, he's been speaking about the same issues for decades and very few candidates can say that. Now that's not to say that, uh, sometimes we shouldn't change our mind. Right. Uh, but I think what it does say about him is that he does seem to be sincere and genuine. And there's few candidates that I, I think come off as sincere and as genuine as Bernie Sanders does. So to say it was uh, baloney and that you can't believe people got sucked into it, it seems a bit much. And I mean, if you look at how the campaign went in 2016, it almost seems like she got sucked into it because <laughs> uh, quite a bit of her policies were impacted by where Bernie stood on, on several things. So um, I also think, you know, you have to think about how gracious he was uh, and how he campaigned for Hillary after what was a clearly unfair primary process in, in 2016. You would think that Hillary would have that at, at the top of mind. You know, I, I can see her throwing those shots at Trump, but to throw those at Bernie after I think he was very gracious it just comes off as poor form, I guess. I just don't think it's very becoming of Hillary to kind of react like that. It makes her look like she's bitter uh, to some extent when she should be presented as a stateswoman. I mean, she's done a lot. She's accomplished a lot, even though she's not uh, the president right now. And while I think it would behoove her to be a little bit more reserved, I do realize that she has every right to weigh in and critique Bernie's candidacy. So I'm not saying that she can't weigh in. The problem with saying that nobody likes him and all the other stuff that she says is that in context, it just wasn't all that substantive. Uh, I think it comes off as petty and it, it fails uh, the Angela, Angela Merkel test that I created last week. Right. I just don't think it's something that a stateswoman should say or anybody statesperson should say. Um, and as we saw with some of the criticism that she received, I think some Democrats are saying, look, this threatens to even deepen uh, the divide uh, in the Democratic Party right now, uh, which is why we saw a few Obama operatives that I'm sure you're familiar with, Michael, had some criticisms of her of her comments that they just were not constructive in a primary process when you're trying to get get rid uh, from their perspective, when you're trying to get rid of Donald Trump. That's just not helping. Uh, and, 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 you know, the comments you know, they fail to realize that I know several feminist women who support Bernie. Right. He does have uh, support by women who are very intelligent and who know politics and know what they want and have uh, and are familiar with him. Right. Nina Turner and folks like that. They're not just supporting somebody who's going around disrespecting women all the time. Now, he might have some issues in the past or whatever. I'm just saying there are women who think he's worthy of being voted for um, now. 
I have heard, and I don't know if you've had any experience with Michael, he may be a little cantankerous. Uh, we we had a me and some friends had a a short interaction with him at an MLK 50 event. I guess it was about a, almost two years ago now, and he's a little. You know, he can be a little grumpy uh, or come off that way, but he's not running to be Mr. Congeniality. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Hillary could have went about it a different way. I think if it was strategic, that it falls short uh, just because I think there there seemed to be a little bitterness there. And, and a lot of her commentary lately has been that. And that it just shouldn't be that way, uh, even though we know that it is hard to le- lose such a tough race. Yeah, J- Justin, I, I mean, it, w- it was I- incredible the amount of time she spent in the interview talking about Sanders. I-, I think you're I think you're right. I think a big piece of this is like j- just a real disagreement. I-, I-, I don't think Hillary Clinton thinks Bernie Sanders uh, could win. Uh, and even though, you know, she she has now come out uh, confirming that she uh, that she'd support Bernie Sanders. Uh, I I don't think she thinks Bernie uh, should be should be president. Uh, and so it was it was it was interesting to see this. You know, I, on one hand, I'd say I, I actually don't mind the first part of the 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 statement. I mean, I mean, I don't mind Hillary making her views known. I mean, in some ways, it's better than sort of like sort of behind the scenes dealing and sort of putting her thumb on the scales uh, in, in other ways. Uh, I mean, it, it's a primary, and I understand, you know, for the Democratic uh, Party, it's it's not it's not helpful. But but this is the debate that's in the primary. It's part of what happens when uh, when the party moves left and. Really, since Trump, the, the party leadership has been trying to take advantage of and sort of uh, use the the far left to support its position. Well, now we're in a primary where where some of those fights are going to be had. Like, you know, the Bernie Sanders of the world are not content, you know, staying, you know, uh, on the fringes of the party, and so they're, uh, you know, we, we now have a presidential primary where, you know, arguably. Uh, the the three front runners are Joe Biden and then Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Um, I, I did appreciate your comment about the fact that you know H- Hillary didn't think that Bernie was so vapid or so you know so out of it that she didn't you know take a bunch of his policy positions in in 2016. So I, I think that's a that's a good comment. But but yeah, it was it was. Uh, it was, it was interesting to see her come out full force, you know, as we were talking offline, you know, I don't think this is the end of it. If, if Bernie, uh, you know, has a strong showing in these early States and, and comes out as, you know, one of the top two, two candidates, I, I just think party elders, including potentially uh, former president Obama are, are going to speak out. Cause I think there is this like, this widespread sort of sense that uh, that he uh, that he'll lose to Trump, and there there are just real critical disagreements that, in some ways, have been papered over by you know the opposition to Trump. But uh, but this primary is is sort of putting it out into the open. Yeah, no, I, I can almost guarantee that that folks in the party are, are going to if it looks like he's going to become the uh, nominee or, or continues to look like it's going to be close, 
I can guarantee folks from the establishment are going to come out and, and make comments. I think the question is within context, what are those comments going to sound like? I don't I don't think you see Obama making a comment similar to the one that uh, the Hillary made. Uh, yeah, and so that, yeah, that's yeah. my point. Not that she can't have a, a critique, but it's about how you go about it. And I just don't I don't think it was good, uh, good form. But, hey, uh, it, it's campaign. It's a uh, it's campaign season. So that's just, yeah, it is yeah, what it is. Uh, just like 2016, I think if if Bernie does get the nomination they're going to need to do a, a unity tour for sure just to to patch things oh, yeah. up uh all right well we're going to take our first break when we get back we're going to continue talking about uh this sort of center left left-wing divide in the party uh based on something that aoc had to say over mlk day uh weekend uh, we'll be back and discuss that. This is the Church Politics Podcast. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and County, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption. Written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. All right, we're back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. Uh, Justin, at an MLK Day event uh, with Tanahazi Coates, uh, AOC said the following. She said, we don't have a left party in the United States. The Democratic Party is not a left party. The Democratic Party is a center or a center conservative party. She, she went on to say, uh, sort of invoke his evidence. She said, you know, we can't even get a floor vote on Medicare for all, not even a floor vote that, that gets voted down. We can't even get a vote on it. So this is not a left party. There are left members inside the Democratic Party that are working to try to make that shift happen. Uh, you know, again, you know, interesting comments from AOC. I've been surprised, you know, to see folks take this completely on face value um, when she actually says it in the quote there, you know, there are left members inside the democratic party that are working to try to make that shift happen. Well, one way you make that shift happen is by saying that the democratic party isn't really left at all, not even center left. They're really conservative. And so you sort of move the, the, the window to say, I mean, her evidence is there, is that you know the the speaker of the house isn't allowing a floor vote on medicare uh for all well the speaker of the house doesn't support medicare for all so is is medicare for all now like the 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 only like the standard for whether uh you know whether the party is is even center left for for AOC uh, uh Justin 
this was especially on you know an MLK Day event. I thought really interesting uh, comment from AOC. Do you agree with her? Is the Democratic Party uh, center conservative or uh, or 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 center? That is relative. Um, right. and, and I think she knows that. And, and to your point, that's why that's why she made the statement. Right. Because uh, I, I think she knows it's relative. Uh, so, no, I don't I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, as I've said before, I mean, anytime you're a newcomer in politics and people refer to you by three letters, A, O, C, uh, you're making some serious impact. Uh, unlike any freshman I've seen, uh, every word AOC says is critiqued with a fine tooth uh, comb. Uh, I don't always agree with her, but the criticism of her sometimes can, can really, you know, can can be overboard. I'll, I'll definitely say that. Um, so, again, I don't necessarily agree with her. I don't think the, the Democratic Party is conservative anything. But again, I, as you were saying, I get what she's trying to do. Right. Uh, what's actually center is is always going to be relative. Uh, it's going to be relative to how far left or how far right folks can pull or stretch the political landscape. Right. So obviously she's trying to pull it to the left, uh, which would make some Democratic stances today seem like they were conservative. If she can if the, the Democrat socialists can continue to pull it to the left. So if she can make what was once center left appear like it's center right or center conservative, as she put it, then she's really changed people's pers- uh, people's perspective in a significant way. And, and as you mentioned, Michael, that's really what's going on here. Um, and it's another reason why, you know, Christians can't get too caught up in the terms that people use, because a lot of these terms are relative. Uh, we can't get too caught up in just following behind a party because party, the identity of a party changes. Um, and we talk about this in our book as well. When it comes to terms that are used in politics, a term like progressive can mean a lot of different things based on the context and based on what the speaker is trying to do uh, with that word. So Christians have to be very careful just kind of following behind uh, terms or a party because those things are always changing, being manipulated, and you you really have to be more focused than that. Also, I I think she highlights here, Michael, uh, a really critical, if not irreconcilable, rift in the Democratic Party. Um, you, You have your Patagonia Democrats, which I think is who the the folks that she's talking about who are kind of related to neoliberals. Uh, They're well educated, usually financially well off, uh, socially progressive and and more centered economically. Um, uh, Their best representative, at least it's seeming like their best representative right now might be Michael Bloomberg, Uh, perhaps, you know, uh, Silicon Valley. Um, And they get along these Patagonia Democrats. And I think that's used as a a pejorative uh, in the (laughs) article I was reading. Yeah. But uh, they get along fairly well with the establishment. Uh, Some people say, is this the new emerging establishment? So these Patagonia Democrats, some would say they used some of them used to be Republicans, but now they're more socially uh, progressive. And so they moved over into the Democratic Party. Uh, And then you have the Democratic Socialists represented best by Bernie Sanders and AOC. These are the folks that are progressive on economic policy, uh, progressive on social policy, and it really have been doing a pretty good job based on their their numbers, uh, you know, outside of Washington of pulling the landscape to the left, or at least pulling the Democratic Party to the left on these economic issues. So you have this serious rift, uh, uh, Michael, and the truth, the truth of the matter is the most significant thing holding 
these two flanks together is Trump. Right. right. Uh, Trump right. seems to unify a, a party that on economic issues has some very serious disagreements. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens as time goes on. How long, long can this coalition or these coalitions within a coalition hold? Well, look, I mean, I think it shows in part, you know, both the wisdom and the difficulties with the strategy of playing inside the Democratic Party for socialist members. I mean, folks have to remember, you know, Bernie Sanders was an independent for really all of his career up until five minutes ago. Uh, Now, that did a couple of things. It set him apart. And I think in Vermont, it it was probably helpful for him in, in some critical ways. But uh, but but what it did was it it didn't really allow his ideas to play in in Democratic Party conversations. Now with AOC and the squad, and obviously Bernie Sanders deciding to run for the Democratic nomination, uh, you know it moves that conversation internal to the Democratic Party. When if these members were so, kind of uh, spurning the Democratic Party and and sort of running in opposition to the Democratic Party, I don't think that they they'd have a chance to be in office. Like if, if AOC runs as an independent, uh, she's not winning that uh, you know a three way race against Joe Crowley and and the Republican in that district. I, I don't think. And so uh, now, of course, the the downside for the for the for the party and and in some cases for the you know, we'll see how how it plays out with the socialists is like you have to compromise quite a bit. If you want to say you're a Democrat, you, you better be supporting the Democratic nominee who, you know, might be Bernie Sanders. It also might be Joe Biden. Uh, and so, you know, it, that, that's just that it's a change in how the socialist sort of movement in this in this country has operated for a while. I think it's as you noted, it, I think it's uh, that this this certainly has to be ex- uh, considered sort of a peak in, in for the socialist yeah. movement in sort of the post cold war you know era but but it does come with some some real uh some real downsides and in a post trump era i think we're going to we're, we're going to see that you know the AOC even though she's in the majority in the house now can't get a can't get a floor vote on Medicare for all at the moment. Yeah, no, this is, you know, from a democratic socialist uh, position, not that that's the position that I'm in, but from their perspective, they're doing the smart thing. They're using an infrastructure that already exists and then kind of trying to make it their own, which, which makes a lot of sense. And this is why I don't get the criticism of people say, Hey, you just need to pick a party and, and go with it. Don't criticize, you know, both sides, just pick a party and go with it. Who does that? No, you get in the party and you right. try to push it to where you want it to go, even if that means criticizing it, right? Um, it, it's just yeah. a crazy perspective to say, hey, wh- wherever they're at, because the other side is so bad, you just got to go uh, with where the party is. No groups that have a say in the party right now do that. They push, the, they push their right. agenda and push it as hard as they can, even if that means that they're criticizing their own party. Because they know that's that's necessary to kind of move it to where they want it to go. So I think that's a, a pretty naive perspective. But you hear that so often. But you see that when it comes to these democratic socialists, they don't think that way at all. They're they're going to be willing to criticize the establishment and the folks who are running things now because they're trying to move it their way. And that's smart politics. That's what uh, constituencies who kind of get their way at some point. That's what they're usually doing. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, all right, we're going to take another break. When we get back, uh, we still have to talk about impeachment, uh, and we're going to uh, uh, we're going to catch folks up and talk about uh, talk about the Super Bowl. All right, this is the Church Politics Podcast. We're back. This is the Church Politics Podcast, and uh, J- Justin, the uh, the Super Bowl is all set, and I, I think it's going to be a good one. I think it's one that makes sense for how the season has unfolded. Uh, uh, we got the Chiefs and the 49ers. The 49ers have just had, I mean, I don't know many people who picked them to be so dominant at the start of the season. And then it's almost the opposite story for the Chiefs, which is everyone knew coming in that this was a powerhouse team. Uh, so so I, I, I'm excited for, for this game. I think, you know, San Francisco's defense is going to have a big cha- challenge in front of it. Uh, uh, I, I have to go with the Chiefs, but uh, anything – can happen. Obviously, uh, the 49ers have been surprising folks all season, and they could do it one last time this Sunday. Uh, what do you think? Where are you looking for in the game? First thing I'll say is, as I've been all season, football season, is I'm, I'm just disappointed in you. Um, the second thing I'll say <laughs> is bang, bang, Niner gang. I'm, I'm all okay. in for the 49ers on this one. Uh, I think they're going to get it. Admit, I'll have to admit I'm a little biased. Uh, Kyle Shanahan is one of my best friends from high school. Uh, so we oh, played wow. football together. Yeah, one of my one of my real good friends, man. So it's great to see him in this position, especially after what happened when he was here in Atlanta as offensive coordinator when they were yeah. up by huge numbers. And the, and the team that we all hate, who we won't mention their name on this podcast, ended up winning that Super Bowl. But it's good to see Kyle doing his thing. I, I mean, the, the 49ers to me are of a more complete team. Uh, I think, you know, their defense, if their defense steps up, can put some pressure on them. But you can't, you know, you can never say the Chiefs. I mean, Mahomes is, is the man. He, he's a great player. Uh, and so you always have to – they're always in the game, and I think they can beat anybody. I'm going to I'm gonna go – I'll be rooting for the Niners. All my sons will have Niners gear on. Uh, and we'll just oh, have to see great. what happens. But it should, it should be exciting, man. But, again, I'm disappointed in you that you would choose uh, just the wrong team over and over again, man. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to change it up just for the last game. So, <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, honestly, you know, I'm I'm very easily swayed by personal connections. So, just knowing that that Shanahan connection, <laughs> I may root for the Niners. I will say the thing is, you know, the Chiefs have been stealing all the Bills players, so they got Sammy Watkins. Uh, we'll see if LaShawn McCoy is going to be able to to play on on Sunday if 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 he's going to be put in. But you know McCoy's probably wrapping up his season with Andy Reid uh, and and the Chiefs. So so that's a little bit of tie. But I, I just think it's going to be a great game. Uh, so folks, enjoy the Super Bowl and, uh, and and we'll 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 recap the game next week. Uh, let's take one more break. When we get back, we're going to talk about. Uh, impeachment and, and how that's unfolding. Bang, bang, this Niner is- gang. <laughs> the Church Politics Podcast.
We're back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. And uh, Justin, we have, uh, you know, the Senate is convened. The rules have, uh, you know, been uh, debated. Uh, and, you know, all throughout this week, we're going to see, you know, this this process unfold. We won't get too much into the, uh, you know, the, the very latest and sort of the current events because, uh, by the time this episode airs, uh, we're going to be, you know, even deeper into this into this process. But, but l- let's just zoom out a bit. It's a very the thing that struck me, Justin, is the tension that's always been there about deciding to undergo this process, which is, you know, the the Democrats have argued and, and many writers that I respect and that you know I, I've agreed with have said clear laws and norms were, were broken, there has to be accountability for that. And impeachment is the constitutional process uh, that's in place to, to hold presidents accountable in this way. And so the argument for impeachment has been about sort of upholding norms, respecting democratic institutions, etc. Uh, one of the problems with that has been which is not to say that impeachment was a mistake. It's just, it's just to say like one of the obvious sort of things is, you know, we all knew that this was going to end up in the Senate. We're now in a place where, because the rules aren't what the Democrats like, because McConnell is doing what McConnell does, which is protect, you know, his, his interests and protect president Trump. Uh, you know, you have Democrats now talking about how, you know, this is a dark day for democracy because there aren't witnesses and uh, various other sort of rules that they 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 don't like. And, uh, you know, that that this is not a this is not going to be a trial. It's a cover up. That's the sort of Democratic talking point. And so, you know, this process that was, you know, ostensibly at least you know, framed as, you know, trying to uphold democratic institutions, like fairly predictably is in this, is in this place now where Democrats are saying that it's, you know, we're plunging, Republicans are plunging us, you know, deeper into the depths of, you know, democratic disrepair. Uh, I don't think anyone watching this trial is seeing a whole lot to be hopeful of, except I'll say, uh, you know, uh, Chief Chief jo- uh, Justice John Roberts jumping into him on both sides of where they're arguing, <laughs> and the fact that uh, at the very least, you know, folks can be respectful of the American public and the institution of of the Senate by by not you know name calling folks uh, as they're making their arguments. I didn't mind that. I was I was happy. I was happy to see that. Unfortunately, I don't think you know John Roberts is going to be a predominant voice in, in this process. But 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 what 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 do you think, Justin? How have you been? I, it is kind of sur- surreal in a number of ways. One of which is that it, it's not like the top news item. Like unlike you know during the Clinton impeachment, which you know I was I was a you know cognizant for. When that was happening, that was all anybody was talking about, and it doesn't seem to be the the the, the case here. Uh, and then it's just surreal because uh, you know what in the Trump era is not. And so, so how, how have you been processing this? 
Yeah, there's not a whole lot more for me to add, for me to add to what you said. I mean, the plot is unfolding exactly how we expected it to, and all the players are sticking to the script. All right, so there's there's not a whole right. whole whole lot to add. Um, I just think you you pointed out just the way that people are going back and forth. I mean, folks are showing out for the camera, and you know they're trying to get quoted on Twitter and all this other stuff, and it's just it's not becoming. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned what Justice Roberts said, and I'll actually read what he said because I thought it was a very important point, and I hope uh, some people take it to heart. Here's what Justice Roberts, his response to what was going on uh, in this uh, Senate hearing. He said, it is appropriate at this point for me to admonish both the House managers and the president's counsel in equal terms to remember that they are addressing the world's greatest deliberative body. Uh, One reason it has earned that title is because its members avoid speaking in a manner and using language that is not conducive to civil discourse. Roberts continued in the 1905 Judge Charles Swain trial, a senator objected when one of the managers used the word pettifogging, which means focusing on petty details. And the presiding officer, yeah, and the presiding officer said the word ought not to have been used. I don't think we uh, need to aspire to that high a standard, but I do think those addressing the Senate should remember where they are. Uh, and, and that's and that's a part of our politics today. That's just really getting to me. Everyone in the Senate, uh, Democrats and Republicans, have allowed this president to bring the discourse lower and lower and lower. Right. And so we can quote songs. We can do all this other stuff. But at the in the at the end of the day, what are we saying about our process? What are we saying about our elected officials and where are we dragging this country to as we do all those things to, to get noticed? Uh, this is a very important process. And I think there were some good points made. I think some people gave some very good, uh, some some uh, productive and important commentary. But some of the stuff that we saw, the back and forth, which we expected, which is another sad part of it, right? We expected this. It's just not helpful. And I, so I'm glad Justice Roberts uh, uh, pointed that out. I, and I hope it I don't expect it to get any better, but I hope it gets a little better. But this is this is playing out the, it, just the way we expect it to at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we'll be attuned for surprises. But like you said, not not really expecting uh, many, you know, to some extent, I think both sides are content with where where this stands now. Democrats are going to be able to claim that Republicans covered up for Trump and, that, you know, that, uh, you know, because Republicans failed to uphold the Constitution, voters are going to have to in 2020. And, you know, Trump's going to argue that, you know, the, the Democrats have been distracted from serving the American people because they've been you know, out to get him. And, and, you know, that's the message that, that both parties are going to have uh, going into 2020. Uh, all right. Well, that's what uh, we, we covered uh, uh, again, quite a bit this episode. I'm excited for the Super Bowl, Justin. Uh, and, you know, it, it will be nice to have the Super Bowl, you know, as something to look forward to, you know, <laughs> you know, at the end of what's going to be a very long week, a very long week, you know. I'd say for for those in the Senate, the staff supporting the Senate. I have some friends over there. I, I'm I'm sure you, you do too, Justin. And and I would remind folks, Justin. I just spoke about sort of the process and how predictable it is. And and there there's a political side of that. 
Yeah, I, I would say just sort of my closing thought for the episode is is do do pray for those in the Senate, pray for Chief Justice Roberts, but also pray for those working uh, in the Senate. These are hard days. These are slogs. These folks aren't able to see their families as much as they'd like. They're not able to get much sleep, and it can be invigorating. And I know a lot of folks are invigorated by it who are, you know, working at the center of, uh, of, uh, of history right now. It can also be draining and all kinds of uh, disappointments and disenchantments and that kind of thing. And so pray for all those who are involved in, in what's, you know, what's not been an easy, you know, year so far, but, but what's really going to be a tough week. Michael, I don't have anything to add to that. I'll just kind of end everything with my outro. Uh, and Camp, remember this. There is a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Uh, politic with boldness and compassion, and Camp. See you next time. Have a good week. Came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, yeah. Yeah. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.